21st century. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, this is God's word. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I want to reread that little part. Let all things be done for building up. Then he gives some examples. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I read that larger portion to give some context to the little piece of it that I want. I'm going to read the little piece for the third time now. Let all things be done for building up. Would you bow and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this time now. In your holy word, we bow before you in our hearts we are your servants. You are our God. Have your way with us. Speak deeply into hearts, we pray. Some, no doubt in this assembly, who need to know you, Lord Jesus, as their God and Savior. And we pray that today you might open the eyes of their inner man, the eyes of their understanding, to see the beauty of walking with Jesus Christ, the beauty of walking with you, Lord. Would you open their eyes to believe in your saving name and to call upon you, as Lord and Savior. And many of us have so called, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word and help us as a church now. Would you strengthen us as a church? We're asking that you would teach us more from the portions of scripture we're looking at today so that we would understand and be committed to. What kind of church do you want us to be? What kind of people do you want us to be? Speak, Lord, for your servants here on this as well. And we pray for all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the series on church. Each message starts with church is. Number one was church is glorious. Number two was church is under authority. Number three was church is for fellowship. Today I'm not giving you the title yet. Suspense. You have to wait and see. Instead we're going to ask the question, who is church for? Is the slide. There it is. Or for those of you who are grammar Nazis, for whom do we have church? All right. You don't end with a preposition. Sorry. Who is church for? I'm from Westminster, and I went to public school. That's how we said it. <laughs> so let me start here. This happens to me again and again and again and again, and this is very, very common in our day. This comes into our church a lot. I hear it from people who visit with us and so on. Um, here, here's what it is. So let me give you one example. Debbie and I met some new neighbors. Some new people moved into our neighborhood. And we, we met them out there. I think we were walking to the mailbox, and they were pulling out, and we waved, and we talked, whatever it was. We all talked. And turns out they're believers. 
I thought, yeah, that's cool. I got some brothers and sisters in Christ right here in my neighborhood now. That's really cool. And we talked some more, and they told us our story. He just retired from, uh, I think, I believe he was a surgeon, retired from his medical practice. They lived in, I believe it was Jersey. Don't hold me on that. And uh, they, what, they moved down here. Why did they move down here? Because it was either their son or their daughter, I don't remember, and the grandchildren lived down here, so they wanted to be near the family and the grandchildren, so they moved down here, and they're in our neighborhood. And, and so they told us, because they found out, in that conversation, I was a pastor of this church. And so they said, well, we already have a church that we're going, you know, like, don't try that on us because we're going to go to church with our either son or daughter and the, you know, the grandkids and all that. So we already have a church. But then they talked about their church. Now, this happens to me a lot. And they were saying, but, but it's a very different experience from what we've been used to. We went to, I think it was a Presbyterian church in America, a PCA church. And, and in that church, we were really fed the word. There was a lot of scripture. There was scripture reading, the sermons were about the word, the songs were meteor, but now we're going to the church with our son or daughter or whoever, and, and, and it's all like very little scripture, and the, the sermons are more like pep talks for life or tips for life or whatever, and it's all that kind of thing, and uh, even the music's kind of very light and trite and trivial or whatever they said, and, and so they said, but... But it's okay because, okay that that church, because they told us on the way in, look, this church is not for believers. This church is for lost people. This church is for the non-Christians. This is very common in our day. Now, I want to hurry up and say it might be due to good motives. I mean, we want to see a lot of people be saved, right? And if there are motives for that that lead to that kind of a church, well, we, I would applaud the motives, May those motives, may that tribe increase. May we have those motives. We want to see a lot of people savingly attached to Jesus Christ, right? So that's good. Or there could be maybe even some unknown because we don't know our hearts. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There may be also some, some, some poor motives in there. Like I know that if I build that kind of a church, it gets big faster. It's a lot easier to build a big thing and be successful if we do it that, and I want to be a success. So there could be some of that in there, but I'm not judging anybody because I don't know. Bless them. They're true churches. They believe the word of God, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm glad for that. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm hearing this all the time. So there's this church, and, and they, they chose to be that kind of church. It's for them. It's almost like the Bible gives you a choice, and I'm here to convince you today it doesn't. It's almost like the Bible gives you a choice. There are two kinds of church. Maybe there are others. I don't know. Take your pick. Maybe there's a plus on it. But there's two kinds of churches. I shouldn't have said it. And, and you could either choose to be, check this box, we're going to be the kind of church that's for believers, or check this box, we're going to be the kind of church that's for not, and, and let's, we can work together in synergy. We'll lead them to Christ. Once they're tired of our cream puffy sermons, we'll send them over to you and you teach them. That could work. But that's not what's supposed to be. So it's very common there are churches that are not for Christians but are for non-believers. Very big church on the East Coast, Elevation Church. I think we used to sing some of their music. We don't anymore, do we? All right. Stephen Furtick is the pastor there. The sermons are pretty much all like the victory, 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 victory mode of preaching and a lot of life tips and stuff too. But they make it known our church is not for believers. Don't come here if you want a church for believers. You'll be unhappy. There are large churches in our area. That's what they say. We're not for believers. 
Last year, I had this experience. A young man who was part of our church, it was friendly. He was friendly to me. I was friendly to him. He asked me, uh, he, can we meet? We met at Panera up the street here. And um, in short, he told me why he's leaving Cornerstone. And he had a list of a number of things. And one of them is, um, your church needs to be for non-believers, and it's not. Like your preaching, past, your preaching is messed up because it's all that doctrine and stuff, and it's for believers. You got all this scripture and stuff, and, and you're supposed to be all about getting people saved, and your services aren't, and so you're messed up. So I'm leaving and going to a church that's like that. And I asked him, well, can we look at some scripture on this? Sure, he says. So I said, let's go to the pastoral epistles. And he said, no, no thanks. I'll stick with Jesus, not Paul. I'm just giving you a little view into the kinds of things pastors go through all the time. I ain't kidding you. All the time, and especially last year. This is huge. So let me ask the question, who is church for? Can we put that question up again, please? For whom do we do church? All right, to begin to answer that, I just want to establish something quick, and that is there's a way we do that. There's a place we go. There's a way we figure out, okay, how are we supposed to do church, and who do we who do we aim it at? So how, here's the next slide. How do we know who church is for? How would we even know? This is just open options and your church might be for dogs and cats. I don't know. Just whatever you want. Is it like that? How do we know? So let me give you some helps on how to know. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to some people in a place called Berea. And here's what he says about them. Now, these Jews were more noble than those back there in Thessalonica. They, the Bereans, received the word with all eagerness. Here it is. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. How do we know what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like? Well, I'm asserting that we become Bereans and that we examine the scriptures and we find out there. Here's another good verse about that from the Old Testament. Isaiah 8 and verse 20, I like it in the King James Version, not the ESV. So here we go. To the law and to the testimony. For if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. How do we know how to do church? Well, we open our Bibles. There's, a, there's actually a lot of this thing called ecclesiology. What is that? The study of the church, how we're supposed to do church. There's a lot, I mean a lot of ecclesiology in the Bible. And I'm saying that with like, I'm a little mystified because now I'm going to sound, now I'm going to sound like, like I'm complaining too much, but I don't get it. Like the churches that say we're not for believers, we're, we're for them. They have Bibles, right? Their pastors have Bibles. I'm assuming they're reading their Bibles, right? How are they not noticing that there's ecclesiology in the Bible? I'm mystified. I mean, there's a lot of it. You're going to see some of it today. There's some very clear and compelling ecclesiology. So for whom is church? Grammar Nazi. Politically correct. Grammar correct. Let's go to Scripture and find out. And a month of Sundays wouldn't do. There's so much scripture about this. The entire New Testament, practically. But here's, here's some samples. For whom do we do church? You're going to think I'm being snarky with this answer. It's a little bit of a sneaky thing, but here it is. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we are told, so whether you eat 
or drink, or whatever you do, question, is church something we do? All right, so church is in that whatever, right? Church qualifies. So whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, you might do some things for your wife, but ultimately you're doing them for the glory of God. You might do some things for your kids, but ultimately you're doing them for the glory of God. Whatever you do. So certainly when you do such a high and sacred and holy thing as church, you want to do it ultimately for God. In other words, the answer to the question, for whom do we do church? The first answer is for God. We do church for God. I don't just mean, this is not just spiritual sounding words. I really mean it. I mean, like, when you come here, you are to consciously and in your soul and in the power of the Spirit of God moving in your soul, you are to render your worship to the true and living God. You're to come here and worship him. You're to give him blessing and honor and glory and adoration and praise. You're to rejoice in him. You're to have your passions kindled. You're to love him in a fresh way with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. You're coming here for God. I hope you see some of your friends in the lobby before and after. Come early, stay late. I hope you enjoy some good fellowship with those friends, but I hope more that you have heart dealings with God. So when, when I, I'm giving you permission for something, when somebody asks you, oh, your church, you go to that Cornerstone Community Church? Yeah, yeah, I go to the, so who's that church for? You have my permission to say, God. It's for God. And part of what that'll mean is, so we want to ask God, so how do you want us to do church? Since it's for you, it's to be done for your glory, what are the things that you've told us in your word, we're supposed to do these things, and that will result in glory to God. But it's time for a quiz. Take out a blank sheet of paper, grab your pen. Here we go. Here's the quiz. It's easy. It's a fill-in-the-blank quiz. Who is church for? Answer, church. It's for God. So that's our first answer. Church is for God. That's so important, I want to show you a couple more passages that are going to start leading us into who else church is for. The first of them is Ephesians 5.19. Look at it with me, please. When we gather in the assembly, Paul gives us a glimpse in Ephesians 5 of what goes on in the assembly. Here's, a, here's that glimpse. When we gather, what are we supposed to be doing? We don't get to just make it up. We don't get to take a clipboard and ask our unsaved neighbors, what would, if, if we designed a church, how would we design it so you would come? We don't, we don't do that. No, we go to the word and to the testimony. And so here Paul's telling us how to do church, Ephesians 5, 19. What's supposed to happen there? Addressing one another. This is one of the rich one another's. There are many of them in the New Testament. And he's giving us a glimpse of who else church is for <clears throat> while we're there. And that is it's for one another. Just hold that in your mind, but it goes beyond that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I'm going to church for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm peeking ahead here. To sing to them so they're edified. But then he goes above that and says, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. For whom is church? It's for the Lord. I go to church to sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord. 
Paul says basically the same thing, but different wording in, in the sister parallel passage, Colossians 3.16. Man, this one gives us some insight. Again, a glimpse into how to do church according to Christ's apostle. Here's important, something important for church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to bring a heart to church that's got the word of Christ richly dwelling in it. And whatever we do in worship, it should, it should evidence the fact of a rich indwelling, a rich indwelling of the word of Christ in our hearts and in our church, therefore. So if you come to Cornerstone Church, we want you staggering out like, man, that was a lot of the Bible. Like they took the Bible and went boom right on me. We want that. We want you to say there's a rich indwelling of the word in those people and in their hymns and their songs because look what he goes on to say. Where does that rich indwelling of the word go? What's it do in your church? Here, teaching and admonishing one another, believers, in all wisdom. But then it goes up, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're getting a glimpse of who else church is for, believers, one another, edifying believers with things that betray a rich indwelling of God's word. But we're, we're going to stay on the first thing. Who's church for? It's for God. You go to church to sing to your brothers and sisters in Christ with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Church is first for God. All right, this is a slide. Who else is church for? Well, Secondarily, it's for believers. It's not for seekers. Secondarily, that'll be third. It's for believers. How do you know that? Scripture. We already saw that in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3.16. What do you do when you go to church? A little glimpse. Paul tells us you're going to address your brothers and sisters in Christ and build them up and you worship God. But there's a lot more about this. So let me give you some verses about why church is secondarily under God for believers. And I really want, please, I want our church to hold this corporately as a conviction that this is what church is supposed to be. The 80-20 rule maybe applies. We need a ballast of at least 20% of y'all who are solid on this. I know what church is for because I've been to the Word. And you'll stand with us on that. Let's try and flip the 80-20 upside down. Let's have 80%. Let's have 100% of you are solid in your ecclesiology. Notice what's in the Great Commission. The Great Commission informs us about whose church for secondarily. Is it okay to say our church exists just not for believers but to reach? Is that okay? It's not. From the words of Jesus, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And for how long do we do this? Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission. So what's the church supposed to do? Verse 19, make disciples of all nations. Well, man, we want to do that. Starting right here. 
We want to make disciples. That means find people who don't know Christ, share the gospel with them, pray all over them, lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And, man, we've got a lot of you involved as volunteers in ministries where we're seeking to do that very thing. I'll just remind you in case you don't know, pray for us. We are crew, camp formerly Campus Crew Save Christ. We are crew on the campus of Hartford Community College. Every week, some of you guys go over there and just share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel with students at HCC. We're into that. So please don't misread me like we're not really into evangelism. No, we really are. But we want to do the right places, things, the right things in the right places, the right times. So he says, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. Then, all right, I got a disciple. I just led this guy to the Lord Jesus. What do I do with him now? Here it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Who do you baptize? Them. Who's the them? Disciples, they're believing in Christ now. Baptize them. And then verse 20, teaching them. Who's the them? Are you following the bouncing ball? Teaching them, your believers, to observe, to keep, to do all that I, Christ, have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the days. Keep doing this to my second coming. So what does Jesus Christ show us right here in the words of the Great Commission? We're to make disciples and then we're supposed to baptize them and teach them. Well, when do we do the teaching? Church. It's right in the Great Commission. It's right there. There's more. Let's go to John chapter 21. Jesus talking with Peter. And when they had finished breakfast, and I like that. Why is that in there? Interesting little detail. They're reporting what really happened, including breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Let me just remind you, Peter's about to preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost that is going to loose 3,000 people from their sins and unite them savingly to Jesus Christ. And that church is going to become the world's first church and the world's first megachurch because soon it's got tens of thousands of people in it. Nothing wrong with the megachurch if you're building it on the Word of God. And so uh, Peter's about to be one of the leading pastors and preachers and teachers in that church. So where is he going to do what Jesus is telling him to do? In church. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. There are different Greek words. Feed is more narrow. Tend is the broader pastoral care, all of it, one part of which is feeding Feed them, tend them, my sheep, my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Sounds like Peter. Just hint, Peter, you don't want to be getting grieved at the Lord Jesus because he's right, you're wrong. He's grieved. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is a very important teaching time that Jesus is having with one of the lead pastors of the first church ever on the planet. What are we supposed to do when we have church? We're supposed to feed sheep. 
We're supposed to tend to the flock. We're supposed to feed sheep. There you have it from the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are so many other passages we could go to. Like, I'm going to mention a few in passing and then land on a, another one. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul visited the Corinthian church. He wasn't happy with what he found there. And part of the problem was they weren't acting like spiritual people, but they were acting like babies in Christ, like carnal people. And he says, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. When Paul went to church, he wanted to address them as spiritual people. But as, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, and I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. Paul expected to go to church and find robust believers wanting solid food. And he was disturbed that he couldn't give out solid food there in Corinth. We could go there. We could go to Hebrews 5.12 where he talks about the meat of the word. We could go to the pastoral epistles. I love 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul says to Timothy, till I come, here's what you do as a pastor there in Ephesus. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Timothy, here's, here's what a pastor does with, his, with his, his mouth and his eyes and his heart. You read the text and then you teach the people what the text means, and then you exhort them to do whatever is implied by the text. Wash, rinse, dry, repeat till Jesus comes. I don't get to say, let's see, which kind of preacher do I want to be? Which kind of church do we want? No, to the law and to the testimony, and the word says, here's what pastors are to do. Gather the sheep and feed them well. So, so the word of God comes to dwell richly within them, and it's reflected in their gathered worship. So we could look at all those passages, but I, I have one that I really want to take you to. It's 1 Corinthians 14. Would you turn there with me, please? 1 Corinthians 14. Let's talk about 14 for a minute. So you need to know, 1 Corinthians 14 is unique in the New Testament as the only extended, lengthy, 40-verse teaching passage that goes on and on and on and on and on, again, 40 verses, on how y'all are supposed to do church. You want to know how to do church? you got to go to 1 Corinthians 14. It's the Bible's premier teaching passage on that. The focus of the entire chapter is on seven times in the chapter a word is used and it's mentioned. It's on edifying believers. This will edify you. It's the Greek word oikotomeo. Did that edify you? No, it didn't. Seven times in the chapter, he says, build them up, believers. It's a believer-oriented word. Edify, build up believers. When you gather believers. So seven times in the chapter, Verse 3, edify. Verse 4, edify. Verse 4, again, edify. Verse 5, edify. Verse 12, edify. And more. Let's look at a few of them. Let's look at verse 12. Here it is. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in oikotomeo, in, in edifying and building up the church. That's believer folk. That's not evangelism and adding numerically. The word edify means you take a believer and you make them bigger, stronger. Strive to excel in edification. 
Look at verse 26, summary statement. What then, brothers, when you come together, that's Sunday, that's what we are doing right now, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. Here's a general principle. Let all things be done for building up. I don't know. I, I, I think that's pretty clear. Let how many things? All. For, be for what? For oikotameo. For, for building up. You mean all things aren't supposed to be turned to reaching them? No, not in church. Because there are some other things that have to happen. Evangelism is vastly important, but there are other things that are also vastly important that need to be happening in church. So Christ is head of the church. He gives us scripture, his holy word, and right here in the Bible we have ecclesiology and we're taught what, what to do in church. Well, then you have a question. All right, Pastor Steve, question then. Does, does the passage say anything about non-Christians who are there that day? It does. So this is good. Look at verse 23 with me. He's telling them, don't have charismania, abuses of that thing. Don't have charismania going on in your church. Why? If, therefore, the whole church comes together, so we're looking at church, and, and if everybody speaks in tongues, and if understood, outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of their minds? And they will. So there are some unbelievers who might show up, but notice they're an if. They're not the main thing, they're an if. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, and if understood, unbelievers or outsiders enter, will they not say, there are unbelievers in the church in Corinth, but their presence is an if. It's not the main thing. It's not, our church is all about, our church is not for believers, it's just for unbelievers. No, 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 quite the opposite. They're an if. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, speak God's word in an understandable language, and if understood still from the start of the verse, and if an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you, meaning he gets saved. That's what he'll do if he gets saved. So are there... In the Bible's premier 40-verse teaching passage on what's supposed to happen in church, is there anything about the presence of unbelievers? There is. They're an if. They're not the main show. And if they do show up, what do you want to give them? What do you want to show? What do they truly need? Do you want to give them a really baby Gerber, gaga, watered-down, goo-goo feeding? No, notice again, but if all prophesy, and if an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by, he's convicted by every one of those prophets. He is called to account by them. People who, people who left our church, some of them said to me, here was one of the big problems they had is, we can't invite our friends. I don't think they ever did anyway. It's between you and me. But some people who left unhappy last year said to me, 
we can't invite our friends to this church because there's no telling what you might say. Like, you, you need to keep it very, you know, non-offensive, very attractive to them, uh, very on their level. Um, this says they need to be convicted by all. They need to be called to account by all. The secrets of their heart need to be disclosed by the word of God. They need to wind up falling on their face and worshiping God and saying, man, God is in that place. They're to be smitten with the powers of the age to come. So, all right, take out a blank sheet of paper. Here's another quiz. Let's fill in the blank. It's easy. A biblical church, a New Testament church, meets primarily to glorify God, secondarily to edify believers, and lastly to lead people to Christ. We want to try to lead people to Christ in some way, to some extent, in every service. In some services, we really focus on that. That's fine. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Paul anticipated that some of his readers might not agree with what he just taught. And here's what he says to them. Verse 36. Paul gets a little snarky. He does. Look, Listen. He says, or was it from you that the word of God came? No, it's from him that the word of God is coming. Are you the only one that has reached? No, it's reached him and from him to them. And then he says, if anybody there in Corinth thinks that he's a prophet, you think you're a prophet, or you think you're spiritual, then you need to acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are the commandment of the Lord. He actually goes farther. I should have put the rest of it up there. He goes farther and says, and if anybody, how is it? It's going to be my paraphrase now. If anybody doesn't pay any attention to me, pay no attention to them. Something like close enough. So now I'm going to make an assertion. You ready for an assertion? Like, have I, I haven't been asserting anything so far, right? Are you ready for an assertion? Here it is. I'm just going to come out and say it. A seeker church is not a biblical church. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope you don't. I don't have, I don't have a bad attitude or a wrong heart here. If there's a secret church down the street and I drive past them, I pray for them. Lord, bless them. There are lots of believers in there. They believe they've got the gospel, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Bless them, Lord. And I pass churches and pray for various churches all the time. There's a church. Pray for them. So I want to see them prosper, but I'd like to see them change. I, I'd like to see fewer donuts and more meat. Because a, a seeker church is just not a biblical church. And because we want to glorify God in the way we do church, we have to do church as he tells us to. And when you turn church into the whole show is about reaching them, you gut the church of a whole lot of things it's supposed to be. There, there are other criteria for determining what we, do we do besides can I bring my friends? So I have some closing comments here. What, what's wrong with a secret church? Why do I assert that, that a secret church is not a biblical church? Number one, because you gut the church of her doctrinal core. The church 
becomes very non-doctrinal, very shallow, very life tips church, boneless, spineless, doctrinalist, positionless. A lot of Christians, by the way, I've seen this over the years, Christians get upset at their church and they wind up in the doctrinalist church because nothing there is ever going to upset them. That happens a lot. But you've got the church of her intended doctrinal core. And two, already hinted at earlier in the sermon, you starve Christ's sheep, who then in turn become spiritually and doctrinally emaciated. You're supposed to feed the meat. They're supposed to grow strong, to love the meat of the word. Just so you all know, I don't know if you've noticed this, I'll, tell, I'll let the cat out of the bag. Well, let me ask this first. How many of you have been to Fogo? You've been to Fogo to Chow? Got into your Brazilian meat coma? I've been there once. Deb and I went there. I've been saving up for 12 years to go there again, but <laughs> went, went there once for an anniversary. And, you know, they give you this little round, this little circle, this little card, and it's red on one side and green on the other. And when you want more meat, you turn up the green, right? So it's my first time there, and I forgot, and I had the green, and they keep piling meat and meat and meat on my plate, and I ate it all. I could barely walk out of there and find my way home. But that place serves meat, right? Like, nobody gets confused. Was this a bakery I was just in? <laughs> no, man, there's no cream puffs. It's meat. So I just want you all to know, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. In case you hadn't noticed, we... We want to be on the Fogo to Chow spectrum of churches. Like, you know the other saying, we have the meats. We want to be meat church. Serving God's word to God's people that they may grow strong. So, when you don't do church biblically, you gut the church of her doctrinal core, you starve Christ's sheep who become spiritually emaciated and weak. And a third thing you do is you fail to expose the guests to real Christianity. So this is just how I'm thinking. See if it makes sense to you. I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to when I wasn't a believer. I was 17. I'd never had any church background whatsoever. I didn't want to know one verse from the Bible, not even John. I think I had never heard John 3.16. I knew nothing. Complete and total pagan me. But I'd gotten to thinking all by myself, I'm thinking maybe there is a God, and I really want him. And there were some deep workings in my heart about that. And then my best friend in high school professed Christ. He turned away later, but he professed Christ. And he took me to a church and to a Bible study. So I went to church. Now, when I went to church, here's part of what I was thinking. Is this not what many people would be thinking if they're a non-Christian and they visit church? They're thinking... Maybe I need God. Maybe that's the Bible. Maybe that's a church. Maybe that's, maybe I need to do the Jesus Christ thing. My come to Je I need a come to Jesus moment maybe. They're thinking stuff like that. That's how they would word it. And so they come to church and what do they want to see? When I go to church, I want to know, what is this? Tell me the real thing. Don't hide anything. Don't bait me and switch on me. Show me what's in that book right now. Tell me what it'll mean if I become a follower of Jesus Christ. Like, give me the real stuff, please. Isn't that what any thinking, sane guest would, would think about this? Let me give a little story to illustrate this. So, suppose you would like to hunt grizz. 
I would love to hunt grizz, I think, <laughs> till I saw one. <laughs> Suppose you want to hunt grizz. I want to hunt grizz. And I've never hunted grizz, but Laban over there, Laban, my brother, and Suppose Laban's a lifelong grizz hunter. So I say to Laban, Laban, man, come on, take me out, hunt me some grizz, would you? And Laban thinks, oh, Pastor Steve, he's going to be terrified when he sees a bear. I better set up an entry-level hunt. I can't show him the real thing. I'm gonna, I, I gotta set up the entry-level model. And so he, he sets up, he sets up. We walk, we go to this place and you walk in the door and over the door it says Grizz Country. And we walk in and there's plastic trees and we got little stuffed grizzly bears that are zip-tied to the trees and he gives me a Nerf gun and we walk around and he says, there's one, shoot him. And I go, Pew! you know, and I shoot. And he says, that's it, you've been grizz hunting. And then later, I actually get into the book. Later, somebody takes me to a church where it isn't just Nerf guns. Later, I, I start finding out, well, wait a minute. This says that following Jesus is plucking out eyes and cutting off hands. You didn't tell me that part. I don't know. I needed you to help me count the cost by an experience of real grizz hunting. They need, to, they need us to help them count the cost by an experience of real church that leaves them, like it said in 1 Corinthians 14, find it quick, they're convicted by all, they're called to account by all, the secrets of their heart are disclosed, and so falling on their face, man, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So here's my closing assertion. Church is to glorify God, build up believers, and evangelize non-Christians. Keep it in that order. All of them, don't leave off the last one, and we will do well. Please make this part of your mental furniture, your ecclesiological furniture. You understand from God's word what church is for and how we're supposed to do it, and you want it, and you demand it, and spread the word. Father, thank you for this time in your holy book. Pray that you will help us to lead many people savingly to Jesus Christ. We pray for people in this room right now who might be far from Christ, but you and your kindness and your mercy and you and your providence have brought them into this assembly today. Oh, Lord Jesus, have dealings with their hearts, we pray. Send the Holy Spirit and all his power to their hearts. May he turn men and women and boys and girls to the Savior this day. And Father, many of us have been so turned. Here we are in a church together. We want to do this to your glory and your honor, to your praise. And so help us, weak and frail as we are, help us to understand from your word how you want us to do this thing, to do church together. May we, may we in our church lead many to Christ. May we edify many believers and build strong ones. And may we glorify God. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.